87% of realtors get into the business and get out of the business in two years. That doesn't exist in our world. We have massive visions around growing our businesses, and we are always looking to add talent to our world. We do everything in our power to ensure the people we surround ourselves with defy the odds, get into production, and build massive lives for themselves. If you are a realtor looking to get into the business, we have a blueprint for success. With locations all across Canada, reach out to us. Let's talk about partnership and opportunities. We are looking forward to it. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Sales Beast Podcast. We are super pleased to be here today with Jason Hodder. Jason is a rock star realtor based out of Niagara on the Lake. He's been in the business for a couple of years, and so far this year, which we're about six months in the year, he's done over $350,000 in gross commission, which is massive. Um, so, Jason, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. We're uh, yeah, super excited to have you. My pleasure, Mike. Great to chat with you and Ann all the time. Yeah, so can we uh, wind it back to maybe the beginning? What were you doing before you got into real estate and how did you decide to make the transition to this business? So I guess I did a commerce degree in university and um, jumped out of that and went right into the industrial and environmental service business. It was a business that I've been working in as a student and I had a good job opportunity from an employer and that was in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So jumped in at a kind of a supervisory level. Um, actually, I finished, I think I finished my exams one day and started work the next day. And uh, worked at that, kind of rose up the ranks through that business quickly, uh, was made a supervisor, then I was made a manager. And um, yeah, kind of took on more responsibility continually. It was a privately held company. And uh, interestingly, that company was acquired about uh, six months after I started working for it. So I didn't think much of it at the time, but it gave me the opportunity to see the other side of an acquisition when you're acquired. And it gave me a chance to, to see how that this multinational company integrated all the employees into the business. And it wasn't good. Um, they were a company that was multinational, but we reported to a division in, in Quebec. And there was, as you probably can appreciate, there's quite a bit of difference in how we do business in Quebec and Montreal versus uh, Atlantic Canada. So. It didn't always mesh together that well. Uh, myself and some of the other senior managers in the company um, got discontented over a period of time and we jumped out. And with more balls than brains, I would say we started a company and we had, uh, we had a clipboard and we had uh, lots of ambition and lots of energy. And we hit the streets and we basically started doing sales. And um, with the clipboard and I think we had a rental pickup truck and some equipment. We had an older gentleman who we knew who uh, was successful and he got a credit line at the bank for us. I think the first credit line was $30,000. And we basically jumped in and started the company. We turned around and started competing with that multinational company. And uh, of course we knew all the clients and um, the relationships. It still wasn't easy. Uh, some of them didn't take us that serious, but others did. And we ended up getting business fairly soon out of the gate and uh, started growing that business. And that was in 1992. Between 1992 and 1995, we developed that company. We had a, eventually we had a group of companies. We had environmental services consisting of um, heavy industrial plant, ma plant man maintenance, waste management, and then a specialized division that did PCBs. So we did all that um, and basically started hiring our friends, but then eventually we started hiring professional people. 
and grew the business to the point where another multinational company bought that company from us. So I stayed on uh, as a senior manager on the industrial side, and uh, so did the other active owners in the company. That would have been 1995. That was a company called Philip Environmental Services. That company was a Canadian company headquartered in Hamilton, Ontario. And it grew rapidly and it became the largest in environmental services company in North America quickly. Then they had a bit of misfortune with some accounting. There was some accounting irregularities that kind of made the earnings be restated. It kind of hurt the business. And then in 2000, um, that company basically went into what's called CCAA protection in Canada, basically like a bankruptcy protection. They were divesting of assets and the asset that we had in Atlantic Canada, Philip Environmental Services Atlantic, was a healthy company. We had about 150 employees and we um, basically went on the sales block and we actually picked our own suitors to sell the company too. And I was involved in that. We approached Irving Oil Limited, which is one that you probably heard of Irving Oil. And the other one was the, uh, the Jodry family who had a wide network of various different types of businesses. And they had been an old business family in Nova Scotia, very well respected for many years. At the end of the day, the Jodry family bought the business and I was promoted into the, um, the vice president role to manage their business they had in, in Atlantic Canada. I did that from 2001 till 2006. Then they tapped me on the shoulder because they were expanding and growing in Ontario. They had bought some companies in Ontario and asked me if I wanted to come to Ontario to lead the growth. And I said, sure. My wife was very supportive. Um, she was working for the Nova Scotia government at the time, but she, she agreed to move and we came to Ontario. And we had a couple of businesses, one in Sarnia, one in um, Niagara Lake, actually. That's what got me to live in Niagara Lake in the first place. And we started the same thing. We started acquiring companies. So I was always buying companies and acquiring them and then integrating them into the business that I had. At the same time, we were growing the business organically fairly rapidly as well. So we did that all across Ontario, probably quadruple the size of that business over a few years. Then in 2007, the family was moving into Alberta and I was asked to take on, in addition to the Ontario responsibilities, the Alberta responsibilities. So we started acquiring companies in Alberta very rapidly. And I think we took the business from $10 million to about $150 million uh, within about five or seven years, I think. We acquired maybe 10 companies. So I was always buying real estate as part of these transactions. I always had commercial realtors and lawyers that were working with me because when we buy a company, we always wanted one to one to add up to five instead of two. So we'd sell off some of the assets, get some synergy and increase the profits. So I did that up until 2015. And then that company was acquired, a majority stake in that company was acquired by a Bay Street um, portfolio fund company named Torquest Partners. And they had the mandate to really grow the company. So we started, I started heading up M&A, merger and acquisition for that company. And I worked with those finance people on Bay Street exclusively. And we continued buying companies. This time it wasn't just in Canada, but the US as well. So that was what I was doing for about five years, just continually. And again, all, the whole time I was doing it, I was buying and selling real estate or responsible for buying and selling real estate, generally large industrial property. And uh, was, I always found that very interesting. And then I guess around 20, 2018, there was a merger 
Um, I didn't go with the merger. I didn't, I didn't want to. And at that point, my partner, my wife probably had enough of me being gone all the time. Basically I'd leave at, uh, I'd, I'd come back at Friday at midnight usually, and I would leave again for the airport at, at noon on Sunday. So that went on for a long time. Her patience with that was diminished. And I thought, well, let me do something a little closer to home have, that I enjoy. And uh, I thought, let me jump into residential real estate. So that's what I did. I started studying the courses and um, yeah, got through the courses. And then two and a half years ago, got my license. I did meet uh, Sandy McKay through um, a good close friend of mine, David Belanger, who also is a KW agent. And uh, that's how I became involved with MRN. That's how I kind of got into Keller Williams. And that's how I met the both of you. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Like, I mean, people, um, like if someone was to go check out your social, me social media, Facebook, Instagram, it appears as though you're an overnight success, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Um, I love that quote. It takes 10 years, 15 years, 20 years to create an overnight success. And that's exactly for anyone that knows you, the way things have played out for you. We see you now doing fantastic as a realtor, doing things that no one I know can do. Um, but it's been a whole lifetime of work to get yourself to this point. Um, I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. I never told you this before, Jason, but I, I've gotten numerous calls from people on other teams. And basically what they ask me is where do I find uh, a Jason Motter? Where the hell, where the hell do you find that guy that can sell five to $10 million wineries? Um, and then my response, I don't have the answer to that because you're the only one I know. So. <laughs> well, I'm not the only one that can do that, but the fact that I had all that business experience working with finance folks um, on the financial valuation side of the businesses, and then also the experience integrating operational companies allows me to understand, in, in the case of wineries, I understand how that they work their business, their farm, uh, they produce a product the same as a manufacturing company does. And you can apply all the same things that I did with, you know, industrial service companies and environmental companies to a winery or a greenhouse or any other kind of business, right? Yeah. Yeah. How can you? Oh, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, you come with such a depth of knowledge. So I just want to ask, like, how, how else has your previous experiences helped you now break into residential real estate? And not only that, but commercial and other mixed use properties, right? Well, I think, you know, when I, I really did just set out to do residential real estate, and I have to say, despite the fact we're talking about these commercial transactions, I love doing residential real estate. I particularly loved helping people go from maybe feeling a bit powerless and a bit helpless. Perhaps it's an older couple. They really don't know how to kind of get out of the family large home. They know they can't really handle that anymore. They might have an acreage. Um, it's all a bit too much, but they don't really know how to go from point A to point B. And uh, that's the very thing I used to do with business owners when I'd meet them first and they'd be like, hey, I have this company that I pour my life into. I've spent 30 years building this business. Some of my family work there. None of my children want to take over the business. I don't want to see it die. Um, but I want to give it to someone or a group that I can trust to make sure that my legacy is protected. And then really, it comes down to the same fundamentals as any relationship. Uh, they have to trust you. And they have to believe you and you have to do what you say you're going to do. 
And eventually you get a reputation for that. And I think it's the same thing in residential real estate, like referral business and repeat business is priceless because it's difficult to go out and hustle and get cold business. We all, we all know that's not easy, but if you can have more business coming forward to you because it's friends or family or whoever, um, you're way ahead of the game. And if you can continue to add on to those contacts and those people, eventually you'll build a big database of people that are approaching you and you don't need to spend so much time reaching out to them. Sometimes it takes a long time for people to really realize that and they keep chasing those cold leads and, and just doing the, I guess, mundane activities of lead generation. But I think coming with an understanding from day one, it's, it's a relationship business is super important. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I 100% agree that that's true. And no matter whether you're talking about a real estate business or any kind of business or even relationships in general, people you mm -hmm. know, if you have trust and people know you're going to do what you say you're going to do, whether it's sell a house or, or buy a house or whatever, then there's obviously, there's a lot of people that don't, don't do that. Um, they don't keep the word. They don't take the hard path. They don't take the, take the lumps when they got to take them, mm -hmm. you know, so the, the people that will actually do that are in the minority, I would say. One thing I noticed with you, I, like when I look back on my, my background in corporate before I got into this business, it, I didn't necessarily enjoy what I was doing, but I definitely appreciative of, of my experience. I get to hang out with the CEO of the company I work with, the VPs, directors, and they really taught me how to carry myself. Um, and I, I noticed that with you, more than most realtors I come across, you really carry yourself in a way that builds trust quickly and makes you come across so you know what you're speaking about. Do you have, have any recommendations for people that are listening as to how they can how they, they can build that for themselves and truly build credibility with their clients quickly? Well, I think be genuine. You know, don't, don't try to be somebody that you're not. If you're not flashy, don't try to be flashy. Mm -hmm. If you're not boisterous, you know, um, don't try to be. Be genuine. People can detect if you're not being genuine from 10 miles away. And, you know, we, we, we all, you know, from time to time, read recommendations or get recommendations about how to approach clients or how to do business. But I think it's important, like nobody knows everything. And yes, there's great, there's great tips and pointers that you learn that are very helpful, but you know, everybody's different. And I think just be genuine. And of course it's serious business. It's not a joke. The house is probably the largest asset that people own and they've worked their whole life to get that and get it paid for, or most of it paid for. And it's their one chance at a comfortable life for the last part of their life usually or to create you know generational wealth for their family so we need to take that really seriously that responsibility and make sure that we you know provide the absolute best service to every customer mm -hmm. one thing i don't know if you guys find this but i see it amongst a lot of realtors they'll uh there are things that come out of their mouths that may not be true or that they may not understand one thing i've always noticed with you jason i try and do this myself I don't know something. Um, I just keep my mouth shut and I'll, if I don't have an answer for someone, I'll just say, I don't know. Um, leave it with me and I'll go find the answer. Where a lot of salespeople, we have a joke in our office, we call it verbal diarrhea. I will sell your house for 600 guaranteed or this will happen. There's so many variables in our business. It's impossible to predict them all. Um, saying you don't know is so powerful. 
it is, and it takes confidence because we don't know everything. And I learned early on that uh, I tried to, to bullshit my way through things. And, um, you know, I was sitting in a room of engineers in a, in a petroleum refinery, and I quickly found out that if I didn't know something, I'm better off just to say I don't know it. Because those people will pick you apart. And on a few occasions when I was younger, I got picked apart. And yeah. I let, you know, there's no fault in saying, I don't know the answer. I'm going to find out the answer because I wanted to give you the correct answer. Mm -hmm. that ties back into trust too right like if you're saying that you know something and you get caught that you don't know it you're just losing trust with whoever you're in business or in a relationship with right yeah i mean it goes to credibility right totally. you certainly don't build credibility by giving people answers that you don't know whether are true or false and it's risky mm -hmm. yeah. what would you say are three things that you maybe learned as you've been building your business in real estate that you maybe hadn't known about before, obviously you come with a lot of knowledge, but also you're entering a different industry, a different business building and developing yourself. Yeah, I think, I think the way that I conducted myself in my corporate life was somewhat different than I do in some ways. Um, you know, we really, I didn't never go out of my way to be particularly friendly. Um, I probably was not that approachable to be honest with you. And I learned early on that that doesn't really fly when you're doing real estate. You know, you need to be approachable. You need to be courteous. I was always courteous, but I probably wasn't friendly. And I find that um, you need to develop that rapport. And, you know, in the business I was in, really, to be honest, it was almost all type A people. And I was a type A person at that point, And I was dealing with everybody else that were like that. And that's how that we kind of conduct ourselves. That's a the industrial service business is a really hard it's, it's a, it's a high risk kind of business and that's tends to attract those kinds of people. But I realized and learned that that approach doesn't necessarily work with an older couple that are selling their family farm or something in, in Welland, you know, so I've had to adapt that way a bit too. And the other thing is too, I did not have a lot of um, knowledge about technology, really. I mean, I used email, I had a tech, tech department. If I ever had an issue with any of my technology, I just called them and asked for tech support to fix it. And they did. They'd come down to my office and they'd fix whatever was wrong and I'd carry on my way. And I tell you, when I started studying and I didn't know something, thank God for my wife, because I was bothering her every day about technology. And I realized I didn't know very much. And I'm better now. I, I'm certainly not that, I'm not prolific with technology, but I'm competent, I would think. So, you know, when you're, when you're at the stage of, of your career, really, to be honest, I had been there and done that for years and I really didn't learn a whole lot new. I had the skill set. It was mainly the same thing over and over again. And when I started doing this, I was learning new things every day. And sometimes it was very frustrating because I didn't know the answer to something or I couldn't figure out how to do something. And it was new. It was, and it was uncomfortable. And I was uncomfortable for the first time in about 15 or 20 years. I was, I was financially comfortable. I was uh, occupationally comfortable, competency comfortable. And then all of a sudden, I didn't have a big fat salary going in the bank every two weeks like I did for decades. I had to go out and make my money. I had to, and if you don't get the deal closed, you don't get paid. That was a new thing for me. So there was a whole lot of new things that were happening. And I had, you know, if I'm being honest, I had great days and I had really bad days too. And uh, there was days where I scratched my head and said, what the hell did you do? Why did you do this to yourself at this point in your life? And then I would 
you know, primarily my wife would, would um, talk to me and say, hey, you're doing good. Um, yeah, that's frustrating, but you know what? You can, you can get past that. And she gave me a lot of pep talks in uh, 2020, I would say. And then eventually the things I didn't know became less. And I still certainly don't know everything. And I face new things all the time, just like you guys do. But um, generally speaking, I'm confident and I know what I'm doing. So that gives me a bit more comfort. But it put me in yeah. a comfortable place for a prolonged period of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing I've seen with you over the last couple of years, you, you seem to really know your value. And I, I remember the specific conversation I had with you. I was checking in. I know you. You had a listing appointment at one of these wineries. The thing was six and a half, seven million dollars. And I remember calling you, Jason. How'd it go? Uh, went really well, but uh, not signed. They wouldn't pay me what I wanted. Um, and I was like, "Is this guy nuts?" Um, <laughs> I didn't say that to you, <laughs> but you always know your value. And when you're on a listing appointment, it doesn't matter if it's a $500,000 listing or a $5 million listing. I get the sense that you have no problem walking away um, if it doesn't work for both you and the seller. Can you talk to us about the mindset there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I know from my past experience, like a lot of these transactions I was involved with years ago that I was the leader on would take years. They may take two years. A fast transaction took a year. They often, they, they sometimes took three years. So a winery or, or an agricultural related business is probably not gonna take three years, but it's gonna take a lot longer than a regular house sale. And I know that there's, because there's a lot of reward associated with it, there's a lot of risk associated with it too, because the pool of buyers is smaller than just a bungalow house. The dollars are larger. So it excludes a lot of people, a lot of groups. And you have to show the property dozens of times um, over a period of time. And you're going to have sellers that are feeling great one month, and then they're going to be disheartened the next month. You got to talk them off the cliff sometimes. And it just takes a tremendous effort. So, you know, I've had conversations with people about these agricultural businesses and they say, well, you know, I saw, I, I talked to an agent last year, they would do it for 4%. And I say to them, well, I won't do it for 4% and I'm not a discount agent. And I fully understand the work it's going to take to get you top dollar for your asset. And I don't want to shortchange anything. And in order not to shortchange, we need to have budget to do marketing. We need to have budget to do promotion and all that type of thing. And I think if you start off wrong footed on a discount commission structure, you're setting yourself up for no win, probably no win for you as an agent and no win for the sellers either. So that's why that I'm so firm about that. And you know what? I always say to the people too, at the end of the day, when we have a great result and you get the selling price that you dreamed about, I'll ask you if you're pleased to pay me the commission that, that we signed on the contract. And I haven't had anybody yet say that they're not totally pleased. So, but it takes a lot of work. That's amazing. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us because I, I think it takes a lot of guts to just be able to walk away, especially when you're waiting on the next transaction, the next commission to be able to feed yourself and your family. But if you hold true in your value, it's, it's not about the activities, but it's about, again, gaining trust and developing those relationships. 
Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that, Anna. Mm -hmm. You know, there's usually in life, there's an easy path and there's a harder path. And usually in your gut, you know that the harder path is the right path, but it's easy to push the easy button and, you know, take away a bit of the pain or, or pressure for today. But it's really not the right path. And mm -hmm. we all need to, I think that's something I've learned as I've gotten older and gotten more experienced is that there's, there's never really, there's not usually any easy path that leads anywhere good. Usually it takes a lot of work over a lot of time and there's not really any free rides any that I've ever seen in, in life period. Totally. Like Mike and I did a full episode on the pain of discipline versus pain of disappointment. It's really, you choose your heart. You choose whether you want to work out today or you want to be lazy. Both are pretty hard things to do and both have equally different results, right? Same thing with, um, with the commission and, and how you show up for your clients as well. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing about um, lead generation. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, uh, as an agent, it's really you making those follow-up calls or you, you know, calling into your database or cold calling, whatever it might be. And if you're there by yourself, it's not that difficult to say, hey, it's a nice day. Maybe I'll go to the gym or maybe I'll do something different. But inevitably, there is a guilt that comes along with that for most people. And if you would have did, done your work when you're supposed to do it, yeah, it's painful maybe. But when you're done, you feel satisfied that you've accomplished the result that you tried for that day. And your mind is clear mm -hmm. um, versus maybe you didn't do that uncomfortable work, but you don't feel good about yourself either. So as you say, there is a cost associated with any decision that you make, right? Yeah. This is too, one thing you showed me, there's a way to make lead generation fun, Like you, you seem to have married lead generation with one of your passions and pastimes, which is golf. <laughs> yeah. No, right. you any mention of golf makes me smile. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, the first year that I was doing this, I had, I, I know a few people that play golf and I've always enjoyed playing golf. And, and some of those people turned out to be clients, but they weren't clients when I started. And really, to be honest, I felt guilty to take a morning and go play golf. And um, I realized about a year in after I played golf and one of the, one of the fellows I was golfing with said, Hey, we have a building lot that we're looking to sell and, um, you know, would, um, you're, you're a realtor, would you, would you um, consider taking that on for us? And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, I didn't know he had a building lot that he wanted to sell and I didn't know that, um, that he'd become a client. And uh, he, he, he did become a client and I find that everything just builds off itself. Um, and it's really fun if you can, if you can marry working um, with something that you really enjoy, then work obviously becomes pleasure. So yeah, I, I found that to be to be a great, and not just not just golf, but it could be it could be meeting friends for a barbecue, or it could be a dinner in a in a nice restaurant with a couple of um, people that you know. There's always opportunities. You're uh, you're pretty damn good at golf. When you're golfing with a potential client or someone that may become a client, do you tone it back a little bit, or do you show up the same way you did the day we were playing together? Oh no, I show up to win. Uh oh. You <laughs> wouldn't do them the disservice of not trying to beat them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a pretty good golfer. I wouldn't say I'm a great golfer, but um, 
I'm happy to take tips. There's often pe people that I golf with that know more about it than me. And, and uh, you know, like anything in life, you can always learn. And golf is very interesting because it's one of the only things you can do where somebody that's 75 years old can kick the butt of somebody that's 18 years old. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty interesting. Do you have any other questions, Anna? I was just going to say, I have one final question for you, Jason, and it's a question that we ask all of our guests. We, we love to be in conversations with great people like yourself. So Jason, who do you know that we should know that we should have on the podcast? Hmm. I think, I don't know if you've ever had David Belange on the, on the podcast, but David's an extremely interesting fellow. We actually haven't had David on the podcast. I've asked. He said no. He said no. <laughs> He's very interesting, and his path has been quite interesting, too. 100%. I love that man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you can help us get him on. Yeah, I convinced uh, him for us. I'll mention it to him when I see him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Jason, for your time today. Really appreciate it. And then, uh, yeah, we hope to have you back on at some point. You know, you're accomplishing big things, and it'd be nice to chat about your uh, your future accomplishments because I know they're coming. Well, thank you, uh, Ann and Mike. It was a pleasure to be on. And um, yeah, thank you for your interest. Have a great day. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day. I'm